0: Welcome to the Urban Eggers Podcast, episode number 16. My name is James, and today I am joined by Jason Brunson from Rebel Gardens. Before we get started with Jason, let me tell you one more time about Renegade University. Thad Russell's Renegade University is the perfect place to find dissident and countercultural scholarship online. Thad features courses from scholars in African-American history, American history, U.S. foreign policy, and even sex work and sex positivity. There's courses on postmodernism, the philosophy of Friedrich Nietzsche, and coming up, Thad Russell is going to be teaching a course himself, along with James Lindsay. Thad Russell and James Lindsay come from different sides of the postmodernism debate. And they're going to be co-teaching this unique course coming from two different positions on this hot-button issue. You definitely won't want to miss it, and pre-enrollment has already begun. Go to urbanagoras.com renegade, or just follow the link in the description of this episode. With that being said, here is my interview with Jason Brunson. All right, Jason, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, James. Sure. Um, so, I, I've been a subscriber to your newsletter for a little while, um, and I have actually, as I was like shopping for seeds on Amazon, just happened across your uh, your seed offerings on there. Why don't you um, kind of introduce yourself, just tell us who you are and uh, where people can find you too.
1: Yeah, sure. So, my name is Jason Brunson. I'm the founder of Rebel Gardens, and we basically work to provide Uh, Kitchen gardeners, basically anyone who wants to grow their own food with the tools and resources that they need to do so. Um, Anyone who wants to check us out, um, the easiest place to find us right now is on Amazon. Um, Just go up there and search Rebel Gardens. We will pop up. You can also go to rebelgardens.com. Currently, that redirects to Amazon because like very many things in 2020, the website got uh, delayed. That will be coming in next month, actually. That will be up. So
0: check us out. Oh, nice. Yeah, I noticed that it that it redirects to Amazon. I figured that was just uh, your way of kind of shortening the shortening the Amazon URL, which is kind of kind of difficult sometimes. So um, it's good that you're starting a website, though. So uh, great. Um, So you write a lot about food sovereignty and like, sort of where we're at as far as the food system. Um, Can you can you Tell the audience a little bit just sort of where you come from as far as uh, the state of food in America today or really I mean in the West I guess it's not just it's not just localized to this country really right yeah no it's it's practically global at this point but yeah sure um
1: so I'll back up I'll make it a bit of a personal story and i'll I'll uh, take that into the the big picture here so I started years and years and years ago myself interested in health and fitness, right? Like, so like a lot of teenage boys, I was into lifting weights, trying to impress women. Um, and that took me into a rabbit hole of nutrition and health. And that took me into a rabbit hole of our food system and why it was almost impossible to be healthy uh, eating in the American and now practically global industrial food system. And so I now mean, we could turn this into a four hour podcast on why our industrial food chain is broken. Um, but the the nutshell version is that it was built from the ground up. Um, I mean, we're talking government policy, corporate policy, everything from the ground up to provide calories. And it does that really, really well. There's nothing better in the history of the world to provide calories. The problem is it provides those calories at the expense of actual nutrition, right? Vitamins and minerals. It provides those calories at the expense of the soil. Our topsoil our top has been degraded to the point that some people estimate we have less than 60 growing seasons left before we may have a new dust bowl, right? Potentially really bad. Um, it per- creates those calories at the expense of the environment. Um, you have massive runoff of um, fertilizers and herbicides and all kinds of stuff into the ocean. You have it bleaching into the groundwater. Um, you have drift that's making people sick because they're breathing it in. Um, it's just a massive problem. And The rabbit hole goes even deeper than that uh, with stuff that I won't pretend to be an expert in um, soil biology and how it's changing the microbiome of the earth. Uh, and probably not for the better. Um, It's just, it's something that was really, really important uh, at one point. And I think the green revolution was really vital, right? This was the discovery of how to create fertilizer practically out of air, um, crossbreeding plants. So they grew better and easier. Uh, This was great. It, It much freed certainly america and the west and slowly the whole world from hunger um but it's wrecked everything else that food stands for and i personally blame tons of allergies and kind of the diseases of modernity um on our food system i think it's a root cause of so much
0: all right. You mentioned, the, you mentioned the possibility of a, of a second Dust Bowl. Um, for those of us who don't remember seventh grade history, what was the cause of the original Dust Bowl and um, what might cause a second one?
1: Oh, now you put me on the spot with without, my uh, second without, grade history
0: here. Without pretending to be too much of an expert. I mean,
1: well, the first Dust Bowl um, was, I mean, it was a, remembering my history right it was a variety of factors both economic and um just farming related and basically it literally the farms turned to dust right they couldn't grow anything there were huge dust storms as the wind just kicked up soil and it led to I mean led to widespread hunger it was one of the, the big things back in the nineteen fifties if I'm not completely wrong um that caused a lot of problems it was very serious hunger in in the United States um Future one is being driven almost entirely by um, what I like to call extractive farming, right? So every time someone plants a wheat field, they go out, they plant a wheat field, they get a big crop because they just dump fertilizer on it. They dump herbicides on it. They dump pesticides on it, right? But each time they do that, we lose topsoil and topsoil is lost. It's in the process of farming. It's lost after the harvest. Um, if there's no... Crop covers put down, and just the whole process is very extractive. There's nothing. There's nothing that's recreating our topsoil. So the the whole system of topsoil is a vast, complex, interconnected loop of things, um, where animals come through and they eat and they poop, and the poop it's turned into soil by other animals and microbes and so on, and it's just this long process that we've interrupted to create food, and that's that's great, right? It's like pulling oil out of the ground. To fuel your car, you got to do it, and that's fine. Um, the problem is, you know, while peak oil is probably still a long, long ways off, uh, peak topsoil is actually a potential real problem coming up. And I won't say no one's considering it. I mean, obviously, people know this; it's being studied, it's being looked at. But there's no at-scale solutions being presented that can do anything more than you kick know, the can down the road a few harder. Um so it's a very big potential problem in, in, you know, let's say a generation. Mm-hmm.
0: What, a what, what do you think is the solution? How do we prevent it? Um,
1: so preventing, it's going to take a lot of different things. Um, right now I'm a big fan of, uh, the regenerative agriculture movement that's going on. You can, someone can Google the savory Institute if you want kind of one of the, the, the big people in that, um, not the thing that's entirely dedicated to transitioning farming away from the extractive industrial system right treating our soil like it's an oil deposit and just sucking the topsoil out to create food um and turning it back into a holistic circuit where we're actually building topsoil with each harvest as opposed to extracting it um i think that's one of the big things and that has tons of tons of knock-on benefits right it's gonna it actually helps pull carbon out of the air so if you're concerned about CO2 and global warming, part of the solution, Uh, makes for more nutritious food, it did all kinds of cool stuff with it. Um, Beyond that, we honestly need a top to bottom rethink of how our food system works. Um, Again, it's built to create calories, which is great, but I don't know if anyone's noticed, I mean, maybe I'm just crazy, but I don't think calories is a problem. I think obesity is a problem. Um, I think uh, diet related health is a problem. Um, I don't think not enough calories is, is
0: a big problem these days. Yeah, especially not here in the United States where, I mean, the only people really starving are uh, either doing so by choice or, or, you know, by by virtue of a mental illness or uh, they're institutionalized in some way. Um, can you talk a little bit more about regenerative agriculture? I'm sorry, say that again? What, like what exactly is it just sort of a big picture
1: okay yeah so great i'm not an expert on it i'm just a fanboy of it um mm-hmm. but the, the basic idea behind it is um there's a couple approaches to it one is to shift from planting um annuals so stuff that basically grows and dies in what you know one in year cycle mm-hmm. and replacing as much of that as possible with perennials um, this is stuff that will grow like Your ultimate perennial would be like a fruit or nut tree that's going to be around potentially for hundreds of years producing food. Um, And that helps to anchor the soil, it protects the soil, it gets a whole process going um, at a minimum stops the degradation of the soil and the topsoil loss, um, but can also be part of rebuilding. Um, the, The actual act of rebuilding is a system where people then introduce animals into the farming situation. So The animals, so the the simplest version is you plant grass somewhere, the animals come through, usually cows, but, you know, whatever herbivores come through, they eat the grass down and they poop. And sometimes they'll bring in other things on the back end, like chickens, and there's a whole process there. Um, But over time, that will then rebuild topsoil. That's kind of what created topsoil in the first place was a mass herd of buffalo roaming the, the wide open plains of America. And this is attempting to replicate that in a controllable fashion that provides food for us. And over time, what that can be done is you can enter a system of, of like crop rotation where you regenerate topsoil in one area, you farm in another, and then you switch. Um, there's tons of others with using uh, cover crops. There's nitrogen fixing cover crops that you can put to reduce soil erosion while also boosting nitrogen so you don't have to use as much fertilizer, which has its own set of problems, and so on. Of the high level view of it.
0: Great. Um, Yeah. So you, uh, you were the one who introduced me to the seed summit, which I was promoting pretty heavily uh, in the run-up to that event. Um, Can you talk a little bit about seed libraries or seed collection, that kind of thing? Uh, I know that you own a seed company. Um, I'd even be curious to know kind of where you get your seeds and um, how, how you got into it as well. Yeah. Um, all right. Three questions
1: there. I'll I'll, I'll tackle them one after the other. So okay, seed libraries are vital and important. Um, it's a little weird for someone who who currently makes their living primarily selling seeds to be like everyone should save their own seeds and trade with each other and you know cut me the middleman out of the equation. Um, but you should. I will be more than happy to go bankrupt and start a different business um, because everyone is saving and sharing seeds. Well, that will make me happy. Um, but seed libraries are just a great community tool where you can preserve um local knowledge right that's that's the biggest beyond kind of you know quote unquote free seeds it's the preservation of the the different plants that survive right the, the strains or the types or whatever you want to call them that do best in a given area because not only is there you know zone 1 and zone 2 across america for kind of how the temperatures and the climates are but there's also microclimates there's within those there's certain areas that get more moisture or more sun or are hotter or colder or whatever and so seed libraries allow the creation of this local knowledge to persist and grow and develop and improve over time So seed libraries are great sometimes they're literally in libraries sometimes they're um you know private people trading i see them popping up on facebook or uh, what's that neighborhood
0: app i believe it's called uh, next door
1: next door yeah that's think of. It. Um, and people will do it privately, but yeah, I mean, that's the gist of it. It's people saving seeds from their, from their healthiest plants and trading them with each other to create a consistently better local food supply. Um, now in terms of like where I get my seeds and how I got started and all that, um, the long and short of the, the genesis of Rebel Gardens was literally just me, um, shopping on Amazon one day for seeds. Um, I've been interested in gardening for a long time, uh, but I got introduced to the book Um, Grow Food, Not Lawns, many years ago. And it really kind of clicked in me that kind of these disparate interests I had, a hobby of gardening, the food supply, um, hungry people, and so on, all kind of interconnected way more than I thought. And I began looking at at it differently. And so one day I was uh, shopping on Amazon, and I was really depressed with my choices. Um, They were just garbage. This was quite a few years ago. Amazon has a much better selection these days. the internet in general. Uh, but there just there wasn't much. And so in my professional life, I was an e-commerce platform manager. So what I did, I specialized in Amazon and eBay and all that stuff. And I was like, I can do this better. And so I did. And that's that's the genesis of Rebel Gardens, um, was me uh, creating the product I wanted to see in the world. And uh, i been clicking with a lot of people. So I've been very excited about that. Um, and then where I get my seeds, I work with a, a big network of um, growers, I have a company that, that does my actual seed packaging for me, and so it's everything from um, some of the bigger you know, seed farmers out there uh, to smaller ones. The, the long-term goal for Rebel Gardens is to create a, uh, a network of small seed growers across the different zones in America, so I can get kind of the best quality stuff supporting the small farms. That's, that's the future. That's the future plan. Um, but yeah, right now it is, um, it's just a, you know, like, like a lot of stuff, there's kind of a wholesale network of seeds and I work with the best ones. I do my best to cut uh, Monsanto completely out of the supply chain. I only source certified organic, um, I source. virtually everything is uh source grown packed in the United States. I have, uh, my microgreens are the one thing that that comes out of Canada. Uh, they're the grower up there that does them.
0: um.
1: So that's, that's kind of who I am, where I come from and what I'm doing.
0: Cool. What, uh, what about, um, what advice would you have for someone who doesn't have any experience gardening and maybe they don't even have a yard. Maybe they've just got a, if, if a balcony, that's what they've got and a kitchen.
1: So my, my ultimate advice is always start with where you are and what you got. Don't the worst thing someone can do is, is hear a topic like this, hear someone like me speak and then be like, okay, I want my own farm. Even if you have the land, it's a terrible idea. Um, You're you're gonna spend a lot of money and probably fail and get angry and it's not gonna be good. Um, So if all you have is a window seal or a counter, you're you're a little blessed in that you can start small and grow. Um, The best place to start, in my opinion, is gonna be three places, Um, microgreens, lettuce or other leafy greens like kale and herbs. And the reason for that is all three of those are pretty easy to grow. They grow pretty well indoors, which means you can do them year round and you can do them on your counter. And um, a lot of them in particular, uh, microgreens and herbs are really expensive in stores. So you'll actually save a bunch of money. There was a book that was called like the $20 tomato or something like that. Once where someone um, audited his gardening and how much his tomato cost. And that's true for a beginning gardener um, trying to go after the fancy stuff. Actually, it can cost more than buying it in a store. But microgreens, herbs. Yeah. You're going to save money. Um, certainly by the second try. Um, those are definitely the best beginner places to start. You don't need much.
0: Yeah. I got a, yeah. um, I got an arrow garden. The, I, it's like a, thing that Miracle-Gro puts out um, it's just a little hydroponic system I believe that sits on your kitchen counter uh, and I've been growing my own salad for the last year and so this year I'm kind of graduating to a soil-based planter garden that's going to sit in my dining room um, until the until it happens that I have you know a bigger yard where I can actually start like a real honest to goodness garden. But I feel like that I feel like that gradual approach is probably is probably even better than just jumping right in. Would you agree?
1: Oh absolutely um and I mean it's it's where I'm starting right I kind of look at myself um, as as the archetype here that I try to create products for and, and content for because you know I live in suburbia I don't have a ton of room I gotta decide do I want to have some grass for my kids to play on or do I turn it into a garden? I live in Oregon, so it rains like eight months out of the year, so it's not like I can have an outdoor garden that long. Um, but yeah, so your approach, like hydroponics are fantastic. I've been playing with a bunch of different hydroponic units, trying to figure, figure out that world. That's actually a more recent, um, four way for me. I've been a soil guy for years. Um, my, my definite favorite at the moment, and it's, you know, my, my, my kids disagree with me here, but my favorite at the moment is microgreens. And I totally recommend that to literally a hundred percent of the people. I don't care how much of a brown thumb you have. Um, it is the easiest thing in the world. It's like a shallow tray and some seeds, and like they'll grow. You may not get as much and as pretty as like people on the internet, but like it will grow. You will get a harvest, and they're super nutrient dense. They're one of the few foods that are actually superfoods versus just marketing hype as a superfood. Um, and at Rebel Gardens, like we're always trying to build solutions for people like myself that don't have space or maybe don't have time. Um, like my curse was always, I failed to water things like that is, that is my gardening curse. I will forget to water things all the time. Um, so for microgreens, we've built a little personal sized microgreen system that's completely self watering. So you set it up and you're done. Like you just harvest pretty much seven days later. Um,
0: and that's just sort of, yeah, that's where you start. Is this the product that you've been teasing on your mailing list?
1: It is it, it is. it is. It is. It is a product that has, uh, it has had a very long uh, production cycle, but it's been worth it. Um, I'm pretty excited for it. And uh, it's, it's officially done. Um, and now it's just a matter of figuring out how to uh, actually get it into people's hands. So yeah. I'm very excited for this announcement coming up.
0: Nice. Uh, any, any estimates on when it's going to actually be launched? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, we're currently in the
1: process of kitting it. So there's a few different parts to it. So we're putting them all into one box. And as soon as we have enough of those done, we will be uh, shipping it off to a warehouse to, to start distributing. So it really just comes down, like because of the time of year, that shipping to a warehouse could actually take a really long time. Yeah. Um, but my goal is definitely to have it available in time to to make it by Christmas. Um, so um, fingers crossed for about a week or so from now,
0: um, but yeah. All right. Awesome. I'll make sure to link to it um, if it's available by the time I post this, which should be, I think, right around a week from today that we're recording. Um, another another summit that you, uh, that you talked about was the Get Out of the City Summit. I didn't join that one, um, mainly because I just didn't have the time to do it last week. Can you talk a little bit about what that was about and... Um, w- I mean, you live in suburbia. I live as the name of the podcast, at least for now would indicate right in the middle of a big city. Um, what's the, what's the, why, why should people get out of the city? So the get out of the city, um, virtual summit was a lot of, was a lot of
1: fun to be a part of. And the, the gist of the summit was, was less about truly escaping the city than it was escaping kind of the, the urban modern mindset. Um, but definitely, I mean, people should literally consider escaping the city. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm slowly chipping away at my wife uh, to get us out of suburbia and into, into somewhere less city-like. Um, but the idea was, was everything from, that was really quasi, it was almost like homesteading for um, urban and suburbanites because um, it dealt with you know, reducing your stuff, right? Minimalism, it dealt with growing your own food across various um, situations. It dealt with mindset. It dealt with water. It dealt with a lot of homesteading-ish things, but applicable to kind of almost everyone. Um, so yeah, highly recommended. Um, I believe the free showing for it are over now, but it's definitely worth checking out if you have the chance.
0: Yeah, it looks like the uh, it looks like the replays are available um, at a bit of a cost, but uh, probably worth probably worth paying it if uh, if you're interested in not only getting out of the city, but just sort of getting out of the city mindset and um, learning to sort of exist where you're at. Sure. Um, So I have a, you know, my audience is primarily libertarians. Um, All the stuff that you were talking about earlier sounds kind of hippie, sounds kind of environmental weenie, um, anti-business, et cetera, et cetera. What would you say to sort of someone coming from the right who? thinks that, say, Monsanto has saved so many lives that it can't possibly be bad.
1: Yeah. Um. So what I would say is, you know, your, your podcast is the urban agorist. Um, so I'm going to assume uh, most people listening to this are are either agorist or you know, agorist friendly. Um, and I would say, you know, go back to your roots. Um, one of the inspirations for some of my stuff is Carl Hess and his work, uh, called, what's called community technology? Yeah. Really expensive book right now that I'm hoping to find a PDF of somewhere, um, but his experiment in transitioning a city in I believe it was DC into a semi self-contained and localized food system uh, using aquaponics and vertical gardening and all the other stuff that was in there is um, something people should pay attention to because you can look at Monsanto and you can be like, eh, it's not that bad. Like they're just doing what's you know they're doing what's best for everyone. And if they make money, great. And the problem isn't to, to declare anyone evil. Like I think there are companies that honestly are kind of evil. Um, but on net, like I'm not anti-business, I run a business. Um, it's the system that's in place. Um, if you're if you a libertarian, if you're a right libertarian, you understand the notion of like economic incentives. You understand things like public choice. All of those incentive structures are built literally since the 1800s in America. Uh, to construct an extractive food system based around calories, not health, not nutrition, not doing anything for the earth. Like it's terrible. Um, So yeah, I would go back to those roots um, with Carl Hess, um, uh, with Seek3. Uh, He was less, you know, specific in his writings, but a lot of his stuff is around agorists banding together and building the alternatives within their communities. Um, And then, you know, expanding from there through trade and, and specialization to, to recreate a completely free market. So food is the ultimate intersection um, because the reality with our food system is if you are on the right and you think big government is, is a problem uh, within our food system, you are totally correct. The farm bills and the regulations and just big government is a huge problem. But if you're on the left and you're like big business is evil and scary, You are correct, like corporations are capturing the regulatory system. They are manipulating markets. They are consolidating stuff. We have, it's pretty terrible. What, what a lot of them are doing. Um, So it's, it's, it's a beautiful intersection of of right and left. Everybody's right because there's very little good going on at scale within our food system. And everybody can get on board with fixing that because it impacts everyone.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you mentioned SEK3 and some of the other um, sort of agorist pioneers. Uh, one of the things that attracted me to the philosophy of agorism, even even more than the practice of it, because I'm not a very practical person, I'm more of a heady person. But um, in any case, the one place where they differ from traditional or Sort of more right-leaning libertarians in the vein of like Ayn Rand, especially, um, and even even Rothbard to an extent, uh, is the sort of rejection of the corporate model of, um, I guess say business. I mean, obviously, I think that in a free market there would be some place for corporations, but um, where corporate corporatism, I guess, corporations sort of running the running the world. Um, I think that libertarians uh, can sort of. Neglect and underestimate the impact that that has on not only, you know, the the economy, but just everything, including the food system.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that is a blind spot. And so, well, I think worked um, like Tyler Cohen's, um, what was it called, Love Letter to Big Business or something like that. Mm. Um, is an important read for anybody to, to have a balanced view. Um, I'm going I'm to heresy and recommend that people go read um, some left libertarians around the ideas of the diseconomies of scale. Um, this has been kind of an important evolution in my thinking, and that is that a lot of kind of the megacorps probably couldn't survive. It, it's not that the corporation is evil. It's not that every variant of hierarchy is going to, you know, recreate state and lead to to horrors like a lot of left libertarians and and left anarchists will think but it is that those huge businesses probably could not exist in free market um, you just you don't have subsidized highways you don't have subsidized ports you don't have um as easy of a time figuring out how to manipulate regulations so you can pick your externalities off onto everyone else through pollution or you know, pesticide runoff and fertilizer runoff and when it comes to the food system. Um, so understanding, I think, a, a bigger, more holistic view of the economy, something that is taught, you know, by Rothbard and by Mises and, and by C3 and everybody, leads to a position where big business isn't good or bad, but it probably wouldn't exist. So let's worry less about, you know, big is bad or small is beautiful, and worry more about what makes sense. For creating change in our community and then at scale, that's kind of the the approach I take to it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, so, getting back a little bit to microgreens, just because uh, I see it everywhere. I, I watch a I watch gardening YouTube channels and stuff like that, and it seems like everyone's growing microgreens in these little trays. And I don't even know what they are to be honest. Like other than just garnishes on gourmet food, how are microgreens used? Some of your some of your your kit that's coming out.
1: Yeah, so microgreens are kind of one of those trendy things that I'm actually excited about. My 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 personality is if it, if it becomes popular, I don't like it anymore. I'm totally a hipster like that. Um, but yeah, t- typical Oregon. Yeah. So, but microgreens, I'm super excited about. So microgreens. Um, so there's nothing magic about microgreens in terms of what they are. Um, so they're they're seeds. You know, they they are grown specifically for microgreens, but they're not radically different, right? Kale microgreens are kale seeds. Um, but what they are is you grow them, uh, in a highly dense, low soil, or even no soil. My, my kids are, are hyd- fully hydroponic. They don't have soil situation and you cut them at about, um, seven days of growth. So they're just kind of getting their true leaves. Typically the right before, right after that, that happens. And at that point they are incredibly nutrient dense, um, because they still possess a lot of the nutrients that locked up in the seed that drove that growth and germination and they haven't started trying to pull much from soil yet so some studies will go so far as to say that they have like i believe it was broccoli microgreens that i was reading about and they have up to 40 percent more micronutrients than a full-grown broccoli does on average Um, so they're super nutrient dense they're super yummy in my opinion, you know, my, my 10 year old disagrees. Um, so your, your mileage will vary, but, uh, I think they're super good and you know, they're pretty, they make, you know, if you're into to Instagramming your food, uh, add microgreens. you will get more, you will get more likes. Um, that's what they are. They're, they're basically little super nutrient dense versions of vegetables. Um, and they're super easy to include in salads, sandwiches, throw them into smoothies. They're, they're a fantastic little item.
0: So they and so they make a good mix in for for that kind of thing, but maybe not as like a side dish, for instance.
1: No, I mean, um, my wife just the other day said I had kind of a few that had been cut and were were starting to wilt, and she's like, I'm gonna a salad out of them. So you can just eat them on their own, just throw some dressing on them. Um but yeah, usually they are um like an ingredient or garnish, but I you know, my salads are increasingly becoming like fifty percent microgreen, fifty percent lettuce. Fantastic. Oh,
0: that's, that's fantastic. Um: All right, so uh, what about food sovereignty? Is that, is that something that uh, is that something that you focus on um, as far as like just becoming completely disengaged from the food system?
1: So I don't, um, but only because it is not currently practical or realistic for 99 percent of people. Um, I think if you can achieve food sovereignty, you absolutely should. Like I'm a mega fan of uh, the homesteading movement and people who are kind of transitioning as much of their food consumption to what they produce themselves. Um, but realistically, like that's not, it's not realistic for, for most people. It's not possible to do it scale um, at least yet. Um, so I don't focus on it. Um, I focus more on empowerment. And how we can take our gardens and kind of wield them as a sort of counter-economic weapon against the the bureaucratic state and corporate entities that are deforming our food system. Um, and that's that's much more. I want to see the food system fixed, not necessarily a few extra people escape it. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, you you tend to run in uh, circles circles that kind of have that similar worldview and mindset, would you say that there are a lot of agorists in that community? Is it mostly people on the left? Um, like I said earlier, this seems like a, this seems like a really hippie type community, but, uh, um, I don't know for sure.
1: Yeah, it's funny. Um, it death. So if you go back to when I first kind of got interested in food and nutrition and food system, I was very much a left-wing hippie thing, My Whole earth catalog. Um, you know, the, the little mom and pop, um, health food stores that existed before whole foods, it was very left wing, but over time at this point, I would say it is not a left wing thing at all. I I wouldn't say it's like a a right wing thing. Like if you go into say the homesteading movement, um, very libertarian friendly, right leaning place, or at least it has a sizable contingent that is, um, you know, whole foods, John, um, I believe is the owner of that. No, Um, whoever owns whole foods, he's, he's a libertarian. Um, you look at people like, uh, Dave Asprey, who's a very popular blogger and he owns his own cattle ranches and stuff. And I don't, I don't think he, I don't know if he talks politics at all, but he's definitely libertarian leaning based on listening to his podcast. Um, yeah, it's definitely converting. I give a lot of credit to uh, Joe Salatin. If Anyone hasn't heard of him, uh, go Google him. He has the best books out there about our food system, and uh, he's he calls himself like he has some long term, but he's a lunatic libertarian farmer capitalist, and uh, he's definitely made it okay to be libertarian or to be right wing uh, within this this broader movement.
0: Yeah, I heard Joel Salatin got canceled. Is that have you heard anything about that? I just heard about yeah. it this morning, so I don't know for sure. So I don't know all the details.
1: The only thing I really know is uh, he used to do a lot with um, Mother Earth publications. I believe that's what they're called. Um, And they broke ties with him over something. I don't know what it was. I mean, these days, it, it could have been anything from something actually bad to, you know, nothing. So yeah i don't i don't know the details around that i know i know yeah he, broke, he, he had to break ties with some left-wing people but i mean there's still a lot of he's still out there
0: oh looks like he looks like he said he wanted coronavirus that might be that might be part of it that's uh that would probably be
1: something that would do it for uh the the
0: COVID yeah, concerned that's definitely that's definitely uh uh controversial i suppose um Yeah. So Joel Salatin, he's a good one. I think he was actually at the Libertarian Party convention this year too, which uh, um, is, uh, it's it's different for party politics, I guess. Uh, um, Are there any other, are there any other kind of luminaries in the space that you would, that you would recommend? I know I watch um, and he's not, he's not political at all, but uh, Kevin Espiritu on Epic Gardening and um, James Prigioni, whose YouTube channel title I can't remember, but I'll make sure to link to it. Um, those are two guys that I watch a lot. Uh, and they, they've they just basically turned their entire backyards into into sort of an urban farm. Um, have, are you familiar with them? I, they're probably not. That, that method is probably not great for people with a family. Uh, but if it's just you and your partner and a dog, then you don't need a whole lot of green space, I guess.
1: Yeah, you don't. I mean, it's actually... Amazing how much you can do with a tiny bit of space. But uh, yeah, so I'm I am familiar with
0: them. Um, I
1: did a kind of quick and dirty uh, summit for beginning gardeners at the beginning of 2020, kind of when everything was going crazy and everyone was scared the food supply was going to shut down. Uh, and you can check it out completely free. It's over at growfoodnotgrass.com, and uh, Kevin Esperickiew is is one of the it's one of the presenters on there.
0: Yeah, I think that's um, actually how I how I found you. I, I, okay, it was just sort of a random thing. I I found grow food, not grass, and then replied to one of the replied to one of the emails that you sent. Um, okay, yeah, 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 I do remember that.
1: Okay, yeah. So yeah, um, but everyone on that, um, I pulled them because they are all actively teaching um, about food growing, primarily. Be um, it you know, on YouTube or Instagram or wherever. Um, so that is a fantastic resource, not only for beginning gardener just itself, like, you know, rather than spending, you know, $200 on a course or even $30 on a book, um, you can grab that for free and it will get the ball rolling for you. Um, then you can look at each of those people and they are fantastic resources for anyone who's wanting to go deeper.
0: All right, Jason. Well, um, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. We're running low on time. So uh, where can people find you now and how can they support your your efforts?
1: Okay, so the best place to find me is actually uh, to go sign up for growfoodnotgrass.com. I promise I will email you plenty once you do that with with everything going on kind of in this universe as well as the the company. Um, You can also go to rebelgardens.com and that will take you straight to my products. but yeah, so be on the lookout for the new microgreens kit if our discussions here has uh, piqued your interest. It is the, it's the ultimate tool for um, a brown thumb person who wants to try their hand at growing some food. So that will be coming soon. And yeah, you can find me on social media, uh, Instagram and Facebook at, at @grow_the_rebellion. Rebellion. And yeah, other than that, I just hope everyone uh, takes the chance to try to grow one thing whether it's microgreens, whether it's lettuce, whether it's with me or with, you know, the dollar store seeds, I don't care. Just go ahead and give that a try and uh, let me know how it goes.
0: Great. And I'll make sure to link to all the stuff that I use in addition to, in in addition to your seeds, obviously Um, the stuff that I use for my little indoor garden, um, which has served me really well for the last year. Uh, And like I said, my Christmas, my Christmas list is just full of indoor indoor gardening stuff. So, um, maybe I'll make a little, a little, uh, list of things that people can pick up. Um, thanks a lot, Jason. I will make sure to link to all your stuff and I really appreciate your time today. Best of luck. All right. Thank you, James. All right. Thanks again to Jason for joining me today. As always, you can find the links and show notes for this episode at urban 16. Don't forget to sign up for Thad Russell's renegade university and as promised a couple of weeks ago, I am going to be rebranding this podcast. So if you're subscribed, which you should be, you're going to see a new logo and a new title next Monday, which will be a solo episode where I kind of go through why I decided to do a rebrand this this early on in the show's history. And if you're not subscribed, please make sure to hit the subscribe button. This show is published on iTunes and Spotify and Stitcher and all of the podcatchers along with YouTube and Odyssey. Wherever you get it, make sure you don't miss an episode by hitting subscribe. And if you have a couple of minutes, leave me a rating and a review. It really, really helps the show. Thanks again for listening, and I will see you on the next one. And until then, live free. This is the way.